Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. And a very warm welcome back to another episode of the Arabic in 60 Steps podcast. I hope you guys are having an absolutely amazing day. And your day is about to get better because we have my best friend in the whole world on the podcast, our brother Ryan Rodriguez. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you today? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Nice to be here. Um, it's a little bit chilly here. I don't know what it's like in Somalia. <laughs> <laughs> I have been watching from afar at the shambles that you've got to deal with uh, in Europe at the moment, weather-wise and football-wise, actually. Oh, no, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here in Somalia, it's pretty much always 29 degrees. Doesn't really get colder than that. I was told it would, and to be honest, it's too hot for me. It's... um. Yeah, I think, I don't know if our bodies work like this. You, you'd know better than me, but I feel like my body's just expecting it to be drizzly in about six degrees, but it's it's not. So my, my body's expecting the cold weather to sort of this time of year be wrapping up warm and not going out. But uh, Somalia doesn't care about that. It will always give you about, you know, it's, it's supposed to be between like 22 to 32 degrees throughout the year. But um, the whole time I've been here for the past three months, it's been pretty much just 28 degrees, 29 degrees all the time. But have you got snow at the moment? Uh, it's a lot of frost, but I think snow is expected anytime soon. Let's see. Sure, sure. Cool. So today, obviously, I really want to talk about Arabic Workshop, and I really want to talk about this like really, really cool project that you guys have got going on soon. Um, 18th of December, we'll, we'll start with this. So if anybody drops off the podcast, I'll start with just letting them know. 18th of December, World Arabic Language Day, 100 Days of Arabic. Arabic Workshop YouTube channel as well as on your app, right? All the resources will be there too. That's right. I think driven mainly, driven mainly by the app, but we'll we'll put as much as possible on on YouTube. Yeah. Great, great. But there'll be, uh, of course, uh, there's more ability for you to provide support and resources for it within your own ecosystem, isn't there? On the app. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think the benefit of the app is we've we've you know we've built over the years we've built the vocab builder. So um, if you're wanting to kind of get a a, a sort of dictionary. As you're going along, then you'll need to be on the app. Yeah. yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And I've I've already started a WhatsApp group for students on the Arabic in 60 Steps program. For any of my students who are on that program who want to be involved in the 100 Days of Arabic, we already have a WhatsApp group for it. If you haven't seen the update for that, I have posted it in our students' community. There's already, I think there's 35 students of mine who, who are in it now and um, are anticipating more students joining as well, inshallah. So it's, it's really exciting on our end too. We'll, we'll be following along with it too. But um, yes, we'll, we'll kind of build up to that. But I'd like to sort of talk a little bit in the beginning, just to give some context to the audience on where this has all come from, like what, what Arabic workshop is and stuff. So if we could obviously talk talk a little bit to Ryan Rodriguez and when you started learning Arabic and what your journey's been like a little bit, that, that would be really interesting to, to me to get some context on that. So how long ago did you start learning Arabic and, and what has your approach been since then? Okay, so <laughs> this is going back a few years. Um, I think I started learning Arabic seriously um, 1998. Mm -hmm. That was actually a year before I became Muslim. Um, and uh, so, so the path has been a, a bit of an eclectic mix, you know, so I've kind of dipped in, in and out of things. Uh, the only thing I did with real consistency and followed all the way through was the uh, Medina books, the uh, Shoaba course, and um, uh, so so that's that was my kind of grounding in grammar. Um, yeah, it's it. I I don't think I, it, it's really interesting because obviously my you know my mind's kind of uh, scientific. I like to categorize things. It's part of medical training, isn't it? 
And um, so grammar was really, really interesting and it was really good and it, and it was really measurable. It felt like I was kind of making uh, good progress, um, but it wasn't usable. That, that was the big thing for me. Um, you know, comprehension was, was a very, um, uh, was very difficult because you'd, you'd always have your dictionary, almost every word was a visit to the dictionary. And you can imagine, you know, for the first kind of religious book I picked up was probably Aqidatul Wasatiyah and uh, struggled on the first page. It was torture. <laughs> even after you the know? first, even after the, all, all three of the Medina books? I, I think so, yeah, because sure. um, the, the, the thing is kind of building up a technical expertise in the Arab doesn't really give you a lot of comprehension sure and it's really quite easy for you to kind of go down the rabbit hole and you know okay i want to know about the rules of all the mansubat now uh, i want to know the rules of all the the, the um you know um, um all the different um uh types of verbs that you have and be able to classify them and that kind of thing and uh, it gives you great i mean it, uh, don't don't get me wrong it gives you a great sense of satisfaction being able to look at one of those tables and understand the whole thing and know, you know, great, I got that, like I really understand it. Um, and the, the messages that you hear all around you, at least at the time, was, um, <clears throat> was that, you know, this is the scaffolding. If you can understand this, if you can understand your conjugation table, you've cracked Arabic, right? Um, sure. And that, that just wasn't the case. And I think, I think over time, um, and since actually starting this project, I've, I've kind of really now understood the difference between uh, a technical linguistic competence, uh, which is all you pro probably need if you're going to be translating um, for the rest of your life, right? And the difference between a communicative competence. And so I think that's the kind of distinction I think people need to, to make before they start their journeys. Like, what are you, what are you really wanting? If, you, if you're wanting the first one, the, the linguistic competence, that's great. You know, there's lots out there for you. Um, I think um, there, there is, there's no structure in, in the second way. So there's, there's not a lot. And in fact, the path is not meant to be structured. It's not meant to be that, you know, if, if, you, if you're looking at authentic material, it's not meant to be that structured. But I think what we need more and more is uh, teachers and people who are guiding other people to be able to say, well, look, I think, I think let's develop your communicative competence, maybe first, or give it a, a larger proportion of your time. Uh, and then you'll have a lot of vocabulary to be, to be able to kind of grasp grammar really easily. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know what this looks like in the long run. I think, you know, we, uh, like Arabic workshop for me is like a journey at the moment. And we kind of, we're discovering more and more about what users, uh, we call them users because of the IT, I suppose, so learners, I suppose I should say, uh, what learners are, are missing, what le mm. learners are frustrated about. Um, and so it's, it's really about kind of trying to get closer and closer and closer to, to that. Sure, this is, um, 
solution. The, yeah. Yeah. This is kind of a recurring theme when I have um, other Arabic teachers or people creating resources in the space that we have. This this discussion between something which is kind of very mechanical and, and very structured, which has great benefit for lots of students of kind of going through grammar. And, and we do that on the Arabic in 60 Steps program as well. Like that, it's an easier to, it's a, it's a clearer proposition to make to a student that we will cover this much. And, and, and the things aren't, um, they're not... Um, it's not wrong to, to to have those things, right? But I think a, a a flaw that lots of our programs have, and it's something that I've recently really tried to improve on with the Arabic in 60 Steps program, is quite often we package the whole program as covering all of these nuts and bolts of Arabic. And then when they're ready to go out into the world and really enjoy the best bits is when we say ma'asalama to them. And like that yeah. is that that's kind of the case with the Medina books. And in my experience, because I just because of the, mm. the the nature of how lots of students in the West access the Medina books, whether it be online or they go to a bookshop and buy them, like I end up with I end up with a lot of students who have done it for a bit and then come to my program. So I, I know a bit about like what students are like who have kind of done a done half of the first book or something like that. And I, I've even realized at the moment I'm teaching like an intensive version of the Arabic in 60 steps program and we're coming to the end of it. And um you know this this year with 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 those students I've been really fortunate that I've had students come into the intensive program who already have quite a lot of Arabic. So we've been able to use a lot of the time to do stuff beyond the, the program. And I, I think an issue that that we've done a good job of um of, of tackling with the 60 steps program recently is um you know is is having something beyond beyond that where it's actually practiced but it's in in our case with with our program it needs to be wrapped around a clearer structure of a of a, a a series of steps because that's just clearer way for students to better track their progress in some way because as you say like having real fluency in a language is something that's quite hard to communicate to a student what it means to be at certain levels of Arabic and even and even when it's so dependent on on the learner and so dependent on what efforts they'll put in it's it's a really hard question to answer when a student says well what will my Arabic be like at the end of this and stuff or like or what what does what does fluency look like it's it's so yeah. much more um but but I think in in our community we've we've started to use better language to describe that like recently a kind of a phrase that i've kind of coined recently in my content is to think of arabic as more play than performance like it's it's not a performance that should sort of be critiqued yeah. at a particular time and often people because we have such a strict kind of community on making sure that you know a stuff for allah don't you dare put a, a fatha where there's supposed to be a kasra you know are you some ahmaq this is my like you know we have like i don't know i think sometimes because we have such a focus on grammatical precision we we do that really at the expense of people developing fluency and i think that's a real wow. shame wow. the um the, the video of arabic workshops that i saw recently that i really loved that the title was uh, okay it was it was along the notes of like um fluency or 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 proficiency was that the title? Uh, so, uh, uh, fluency versus accuracy, I think. Fluency yeah. versus accuracy, that's the one, right, right, yeah. So like, so quite often people who are fluent in a language, like us in this podcast, if, if students of the English language were to listen to us, they'd probably find mistakes in our English just because we're speaking it in an open way. And it's the same with me. Like I have an Arabic teacher and 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 my Arabic teacher and I, we, we they don't, he doesn't really plan a lesson for me. We just have a conversation about what's going on in the world. Just to, just as, as a teacher, it's important for me to just keep my spoken Arabic, you know, in practice really. And we yeah. make mistakes all the time. Like, you know, between the, between the two of us, like we're just having a conversation and we're just talking about what's going on in our lives. And, you know, sometimes on the end of a word, um, 
as I'm calculating it in the moment, I'm not 100% sure whether it's a Fatara Kassara. You know, c- come for me if you will, but sometimes <laughs> I just run, <laughs> run through it. because yeah, so I, I can relate to that completely. So I, I, um, I actively chose to do exactly that. And um, my teacher ended up kind of working on the project. So he's Ayla, uh, who's going to be a Hakawati for, for, for the project. And uh, we'll talk about the story listening in a minute. But sure. um, he's, uh, so what we were able to do, or what I was kind of, what I pushed for uh, was to move to the stage where we weren't going to correct grammar we weren't going to look at vocabulary lists we weren't going to do testing um the way he worked actually was while we were having a class and we, we just like randomly picked topics like you know artificial intelligence or beekeeping which is what I do so he wanted to know about that and then I'd ask him about what life was like in Damascus when he was growing up as a child and things like that and um so he'd, he'd have a Google sheet where he'd just type all these words up that, that he was kind of explaining to me as um, as we went along. And honestly, I have not looked at any of the hundreds that he's, <laughs> that he's done. <laughs> and he may have stopped, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but then uh, one day, I think maybe six months into it, he, he turned around to me and he said, uh, you know, have you been like, have you been revising all of these sheets? Because you, you've kind of picked up a lot of vocab and and you know your speaking is getting better and better and I just said to him no I, I hadn't done that like I literally read the research and you know I've got a very superficial reading of, of the linguistic research so um, I'm sure as soon as academics start looking at our material they're going to kind of pick out you know um, things that I've talked about but even with that superficial reading um, if I was going to test what I was reading about, so for example, the incidental learning hypothesis, you know, where we learn incidentally, that's how we pick up uh, vocab. If I was really going to test that, I really needed to do it myself. And, you know, I was really surprised. So we've got a common friend who was also involved in the the project. Uh, I met him in Istanbul after two years. And he was like, wow, you're near native. And I was like, I'm sure I'm not near native, but thank you for the compliment. And you know, it's good that I've uh, that, that my Arabic's improved. So I think it's kind of like trusting sometimes that the fact that actually you're going to acquire language subconsciously, that's how we acquire language. And deliberate learning of grammar is is it's all about making what we're trying to learn, making it great. You know, getting getting excellent Arabic versus just a kind of functioning Arabic, if that makes sense. A previous um, um so sorry to sorry to interrupt you. I was no, just no, gonna, I, just, I was just going to interject that um a previous guest on the podcast, Habib from um from Ehsan Arabic. Some that, that oh cool cool so something that he said that I really liked is that like grammar learning of grammar isn't necessarily supposed to be prescriptive but it's supposed to be an explanation of Arabic that's already been in that's already been inferred or something like that and I thought it was yeah. just it was very very nicely put it's um and as, as I mentioned at the time like it's something in, in our program that we noticed like so of, often we might give students we might give students something in Arabic like for example the example that I gave was broken plurals right so like Arabic in its organic form really doesn't care what step of the program you're on so like no. a, a so like a, a text that you read might use a broken plural right and some of the broken plurals they can't take tenween right we don't need to go into the details of that right and like we see those broken plurals in the very early steps of the program for example we see the plural of masjid masajidu and at the time students just kind of accept it they they can use it they know what it means 
they know that it goes in the word they they know that it's the plural and they functionally they just can they can use it in their sentences but then later in the program when they actually understand and they when i deliver this lesson and understand the nuts and bolts of this particular pattern and stuff it's a it's an explanation of arabic that's already been inferred and i could really resonate with that when um when he said that i just wanted to interject that because he had said something that was so nicely put but that, that's great I, I mean that that's one of um um my pet tidbits is, is 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 exactly that and i was really glad when he mentioned that because um you know i think kind of looking at the history of grammar of course grammar was not codified at the time of the prophet and certainly not when the muallaqat were, were were kind of you know uh popular so um grammar kind of came came a lot lot later and and you know of course we know that there were uh, at least two mate well there were two major schools three minor schools and um so the two major schools disagreed with each other about what what's a nominal and a verbal sentence you know i mean if you got that kind of basic disagreement it can't be all that important mm. <laughs> do you know what i mean to, to kind sure. of get perfect i i think i think uh, the using arabic in the right way is kind of more important than your understanding of the grammar i i think that's the the kind of message that we kind of put out so yeah um i, I mean, there was something else that i wanted to mention about the the the, the grammar bit which was um that'll come back to me don't worry sure sure, sure, sure. <laughs> okay so like that's so something but no don't worry we'll come back sure 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 so so yeah so that that's kind of a good um that that gives us a good idea of kind of what your um, arabic language exposure was in the beginning like going through those books and then having a teacher at what stage did you get an arabic teacher did you kind of immerse yourself in the in those books as the first thing that you did or was that very early in your process so I actually did book one and two by myself i think i, I completed those within six months okay. um which was um, you know, I mean, it, it, it was, I, I think the rule that I had then was that I, I only allowed myself to kind of do uh, an hour every day. And that was my kind of trick um, to, to, to kind of keep myself enthusiastic about the next day. So, you know, that hour went and I wanted to do more. And I was like, nope, you're going to stop now and you're going to carry on this enthusiasm the next day. So, okay, six months, I struggled with book three. I mean, you, you can see suddenly that book three gets very, very technical very quickly. Um, so I sat uh, with um, uh, a good friend of mine, a brother who's a student of knowledge from Medina, um, Sheikh Faraz from, from South London. And um, so we completed book three. Uh, and then we started reading Tafsir ibn Saadi. Um, uh, and then eventually moved on, you know, class got bigger. It, it, actually, at that point, it was just me. So the class size, so, you know, everything we talk about on the project, it's actually uh, things that I've experienced, you know, class size is getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it was just me and him. And then um, we we then took on Usul al-Fiqh and that suddenly the class size kind of blew up. But at that point, I struggled. I really, really struggled um, to keep up. Um, it's something I'm, I keep meaning to kind of go back to is just to kind of get an introduction to a and fit. But um, so I, I think the next few years was a, was a little bit of, you know, try lots of different things. I had a young family at the, at the time, you know, uh, my, my son 
um, what was born 2003. So I think that kind of coincides with the time that I kind of took my foot off the gas um, and then started thinking about, well, what do, what do I really want with Arabic? And, you know, I think, um, I think in the midst of all of this, meeting Arab brothers, right, and then making those steps towards them and seeing the, the, the change in, in the way they deal with you the moment you start speaking Arabic, um, those were the kind of experiences that made me think, well, hang on, you know, there's something else that I need to be doing with my Arabic here. And I think, I think that's what got me thinking about it. Um, uh, but I think it would be another 10 years before I then went on to italki and found uh, someone to actually just sit down and do conversation classes with. I think in that time, um, you know, obviously being a junior doctor was, all, <laughs> was my main concern as well. So that, that kind of came in between. But uh, yeah, so I think, I think if, if I were to look back and say, well, look, okay, this was a journey I took. It took this level of motivation, right? I, I'm not sure that we could extend that to everyone. Do, do you know what I mean? Like um, I, I had a very set, I, I was very set on getting my Arabic working. Mm -hmm. um, and in some ways I meant, to you that my Arabic started before I became Muslim and so for me my my Arabic and my Islam became very intertwined I appreciate it's not the same for everyone but you know uh, I, I think subconsciously um, I try to have the conversations that I have in myself with Allah tends to be in Arabic I try to make that effort mm -hmm. um, and so if that means that I'm, I'm trying to learn to speak to him in a kind of natural way um, then, I, then I'll go off and learn the, the vocabulary that I need for, for that particular dua, that particular, mm. you know, that's nice. That's that nice. kind of thing. And so I think that's, that's kind of like, that's been a motivation for me. And I appreciate that's not going to be the same thing for everyone. So I, I think the point I'm trying to make is it's quite, it's quite a lot actually that you've got to invest in. And mm. if you're not seeing the returns for that straight away and you're not kind of looking towards the end, it's, it's quite a hard part. To take. I think um, so, that's um, it's something for students to kind of be um, aware of what what success in that actually looks like. Like you used an expression there, which is really interesting about getting your Arabic working, and I'd be interested in a bit more about that process because there's, I mean, probably lots of graduates of mine. They're at a position where they have lots of Arabic. They've been through lots of Arabic. They have lots of words. They can access lots of things. But there's a there's a feeling of not only like getting your Arabic working, but then also kind of keeping it working and and what that yeah. looks like because it like Arabic doesn't really have a progression or, or learning any language have a pr straight progression like that. I mean, sometimes you you just have a conversation that doesn't go well sometimes like you you might have you might have just had really good conversations for a long time and you just yeah. i don't know like someday it's just a train wreck you can't just can't get the words out you you don't have the right vocab for that particular conversation or something and a student without the right understanding of what the progression looks like and what a regular active user of arabic's um experience is like it's um yeah that 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 can be an issue so i so i wanted to, i wanted to ask you what what did that process look like for you of of when you say getting your arabic working sort of what is the timeline like and what things did you do um i think if i if i condense all the kind of bits where i wasn't doing arabic and and say okay look this this is these are this is the cut if you like of you know the sequence of my arabic career i think i i would say maybe 7 
seven years kind of um, explicit learning, so rules were vocab lists, two years to get it functioning, like mm. seriously, or even 18 months. Um, uh, and that just came from, from having a conversation. I think one of the things that I really, I, I decided to trust in was something that's, uh, um, that's called the, the, the natural order of acquisition, right? And so one of the, what you've got to appreciate is like you can throw all this input in and we talk a lot about input on the project, um, but your brain will only produce um, or it will only acquire in a certain order. So there are, there are certain grammatical concepts, for example, that you could, you could learn and explain but sometimes you may not even acquire it. And, you know, in English, the, 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 I, I think it's the kind of present continuous, which for non-natives is, is extremely difficult, actually. And a lot of people can explain it, but they'll never, they'll never use it themselves. So um, I don't know what that looks like for Arabic. I don't think the research has been done. Um, uh, but we do know that there is a natural order in which people will just produce language. Uh, and so if you... If you were to, for example, I, I struggle, I'll be honest with you, I struggle with a lot of the Mansubla, like producing them, you know, Tamiz and things like that. I just don't produce it naturally. Um, and I, I think that's going to come later on. But one of the things, oh, this, this is what I thought about earlier on. Something really basic that really bugs me, um, but again, I, I don't know what research has been done in Arabic, is that we teach past tense before we teach present tense. Okay. Right. Um, but actually, in terms of usage, uh, you know, past tense in almost every language comes after present tense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think I think there are things there where, you know, we, we clearly do that because it kind of fits into the codified grammar. And, you know, uh, we, we feel that an understanding of, of uh, trilateral roots is kind of important uh, for students from a grammatical point of view. But you know, in daily life, like you, you're going to ask, well, is the dinner ready? Is the, you know, uh, <laughs> are you ready to go to work? You know, that kind of thing. You're not, you're not really dealing with the past that much initially. So, um, yeah, I, I think that kind of coming back to your question, um, those conversations, um, I, I guess I, I, I being uh, reading the, the 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 linguistic literature while having those conversations with Ala, um, you know, just allowed me to kind of look at well, actually, what was happening in this conversation? Like, you know, was did, did I really end up using past tense that much? For example, did did you know did I understand when he was using Mansubat a lot? Um, so yeah, that that's the thing, and it's just kind of. I think what happens is like the first three months is just about you trusting a process, trusting trusting the idea that I'm going to pick this up subconsciously. Whereas seven years of grammar were, uh, you know, made me think, well, I've got to make sure that I've got this correct. And, and you know, you've always got that, that mental itch that I've got to go to the dictionary and check that I understand the exact meaning of this word. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's that's I, I I think just being aware that that's going to cause a lot of anxiety. That that was what that journey involved for me. Um, imagine yeah. imagine if the Arabic grammar books started with the ana, afal, or whatever it is. 
Like imagine if the workbook started with Anna Ektobor rather than Katebe. If it started with I write instead of he wrote. Obviously, as you say, there are because of Arabic's unique structure, there are good reasons for that, that we we start with the most kind of base form of the letters. And usually we're teaching students for whom um, the uh, the Arabic script is not their their native script. We want shorter, more so there, there are good reasons for it, as you know. But um, it is an interesting it is an interesting idea to play with as to if we, if we delivered it the same way that European languages, when we learned them, our focus is entirely on speaking. If we delivered mm -hmm. Arabic in that kind of same order, it would be, that, that that's an interesting thing for me to consider or even or even if we use the imperative much like our when we when we look up a verb in the dictionary it's the imperative um that they're actually looking for go and eat and you know it's that's um well, the most base form of the verb i mean is is the imperative go, go yeah. eat it would be that's interesting and and would the transition yeah. between that because i I've always, I've never really questioned it, to be entirely honest with you. I haven't questioned whether we, we do that because understanding the transition from ketebe, yektub, or uktub, it, it's easier to have the, the smallest and then expand it into other things rather than the most used. But if if your real focus is speaking, then that's not necessarily the case. Like, is it is it much harder to, is it much harder to learn ektubu first than ketebe? Or is it much harder to learn uktub before I'd... I, I don't know. The, the, the fact is, in a spoken context, it, it really doesn't care about what's more complicated grammatically. <laughs> that's that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, and, and to be honest, like as as you're learning and acquiring language, you you might not see connections between related words. You know, if you've got a tenth form of something and a fourth form of something else, you've not necessarily made the connection between the two, even though we've trained you with with grammar to be able to see that. Um, and I, I think the reason might be because when we acquire language as opposed to learning language, we're, we're, we're looking at the semantic value of that word or that sentence or that phrase. We're not looking at, um, you know, does the form fit? Um, so sometimes you're not going to recognize that, that those two, two words are, are linked until you kind of, you know, it might occur to you. Um, and that's really why um kind of incidental learning is is so powerful so incidental meaning uh, your your language is acquired incidentally while you're doing something mm -hmm. else yeah yeah um it's it's just so much more powerful and conversely taking a grammatical approach you know if you think about what we do with children like um uh, a child let's take a hypothetical situation a child uh, learns the word for cat pitta and then uh, you know, sees a dog and says, "Hadhi uh, grammatically perfect, and you say no, right? So they're they're not going to turn around and like mentally process, "Oh, my grammar was wrong there." It's like the semantics were wrong there, mm. kel, right? Uh, and so I think um, it, it's kind of thinking about uh, what your brain is doing, like what is it, what is it optimizing for, and what is it. Um, um, you know, what is it naturally picking up? Um, and so I think, I think that's the really, that's really what we're trying to push from. Sorry, I'm kind of like leading, uh, um, uh, you know, pushing us closer and closer to the hundred days of Arabic, but that's, 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 that's really what we're, we're, we're trying to kind of get people thinking about is like, where is the, um, where is the, uh, I'm trying not to use the word efficiency, but you know, where is your brain working optimally mm -hmm. when trying to pick up language? And uh, yes, I mean, grammar can help you along the way, but I think 
I think let's let's say you 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 dedicate I don't know um, two hours a week to grammar. Let, let's be optimistic, three hours a week to grammar. I don't know. Um, you know, perhaps perhaps you need to counter that with 150 hours of of reading or or listening. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really benefit from the grammar, right? Um, although even that, there's, there's a little bit of contention about uh, in the sense that uh, you know the, the, what I was trying to lead to in fluency versus accuracy is if, if you start coding for accuracy, you, you kind of start hindering that acquisition process because your your brain is naturally thinking, did I get that right? Did, did you know what what's coming in terms of should it be fatha? Should it be tanween at the end? You know, so yeah, yeah, definitely. I can, you know, to be entirely transparent. In in my role as an Arabic teacher, I I even really has I really kind of um, um, avoided even using Arabic because I I sort of found myself in a position where I thought, well, if I'm telling people that I'm a mudarris, right, there's a certain expectation that I'm not going to do a khata, am I? Because I'm a mudarris, you know, and that's like that. Like I knew in I knew in the moment. I remember being in the masjid. I was living in, in Northampton at this point. I'd always speak to the imam there in Arabic. Like, he wasn't an Arab. He was from Tanzania actually, but had a very very high level of Arabic. And I found myself, I was like, are there any students around? <laughs> like, <laughs> like what? But what, honestly, like, it's funny now, because, like, you know, we're in a better situation, but, like, how sad is that? Like, how sad yeah. is it that a student of the Arabic language or, or anybody is thinking, I shouldn't be using this beautiful language right now because I don't know if the Temyiz has Fethaz, Kasaraz, or Dumbas. I can't remember that yeah, lesson, yeah. right? How sad is that? It has Fethaz, by the way. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. how, how sad is I, that? Yeah, I, I, keep, I keep thinking to um, kind of put a video together just entitled, you know, make as many mistakes as you can. <laughs> sure. And, and not, not me necessarily talking to people about making mistakes, but perhaps me having a conversation with someone, showing them how many mistakes you really can make. And, um, you know, get away with it. Like, I, I, I was thinking maybe, you know, one of our classes with our, uh, my classes with Ala to just switch the camera on and 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 show them what actually goes on in, in, sure. uh, in a lesson like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, so I, I, I think, um, yeah, making as many mistakes as you can. I think that that that's that's an interesting one, isn't it? Like, mm. um, I think because we're being taught, and so this is not, a, you know, I just want to like preface this, but this is no, in no way, a criticism of the students of knowledge, you know, uh, may Allah bless them for what they do. I mean, but, you know, they live in a world where they've got to be as accurate as possible. You know, the whole idea of uh, fiqh, starting off with definition, like you, you, you clarify your terms of reference and you make sure it's like a really precise art. Uh, science beg your pardon both combine them <laughs> you know whatever it sure. is but the, but the point is that um when you when you come from that world and then you you suddenly take on nahu so your natural instinct is going to be towards that perfection and that accuracy mm -hmm. and i think um you, you know i think that the, the world that you live in in medina when when you go there it's easy to attribute your success to the to the grammar books because they 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 kind of fit in with your your um, uh, you know your way of thinking of, of what you're trying to achieve over there, but I would actually say so this is something that's been studied in medical students and I, I used to do a lot of education with uh, with medical students, um, a large degree of success in in studying medicine and I suspect that this is true of any kind of profession. Uh, 
um, even outside the academic field is to it is the um, it, it's the unwritten curriculum, the unplanned curriculum. So you know you you could have these books laid out in front of you on anatomy and physiology, but unless medical students are talking about it in that language in their own free time, they they're going to have a, a a really tough time kind of coming up to the exams. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're literally they're literally speaking Greek. <laughs> without realizing yeah, they literally are yeah <laughs> and, and the only way that works is if if they they form cliques i mean you know you you can go to lots of universities the medics still will be a clique because they're literally speaking a different language mm. um and so i think that is also true of students who go to medina go to mauritania go to wherever right they're all speaking a certain language and i don't think that um I don't think so. They, so they're learning Arabic as a second language, essentially. I, I think taking that and applying to uh, th those uh, manahij to learning Arabic as a foreign language, I, I think the rules have changed there. And, and we, we need to kind of look at, well, you know, what is what, what, what do people need to do to kind of gain success here? There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's a whole different environment at play. So I agree. Yeah. That's 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 a lot to think about, um, and especially for for learners. You know, I mean, if if you look at it, um, I mean, I don't know the the kind of professions, for example, of of learners that you've come across. But you know, we do a lot of user interviews, and I've spoken to people who've achieved success as cardiothoracic surgeons, radiologists, and things like that, just because of where I am, and the you know the terror that comes to them when we speak about their Arabic it's just yeah, yeah it's, it's unbelievable really and, and I don't think that that can be attributed to motivation I think I think a lot of um, a, a lot of teachers um, you know like to attribute that to motivation I really don't think it is I, I think a lot of people really do want to master Arabic or you know whatever mastery means but sure. they do want to get a really competent level of Arabic and it's 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 things outside their scope really it's 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 things that they have no control of but it's just these environments that they're being immersed in so it's not their fault i think that that was one of the first messages we wanted to put out really good so i, I don't know if you i'd be interested like is that an experience you have with your students uh, yes um you mean particularly um students who are high performers in some some way yeah. in their lives and then yeah absolutely in the because of the um, because of the intensive program, particularly, which is a big focus of mine at the moment, because of its price and stuff, it's it's often very high performing people in their careers who are people who enroll on it. So I have a great privilege of of um, of sitting with people who are doing amazing things in their life. Look at the moment on our cohort of the intensive students, we have um, a professor of Spanish literature from the US. We have um, someone who's in like the tech startup world in um, in, in Silicon Valley, and we have someone who's also a medical practitioner, a doctor of 40 years as well, and um, right. as well as people who have kind of more corporate roles in the Middle East and stuff like that, and are doing well for themselves in that sense. And um, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, often because they've achieved such such amazing things, all of them, to be honest, in in their in their professional lives and stuff. It's um, um, number one, it can that sometimes. It, They've never said this explicitly, but if they struggle with things, they, they, it, it, there may be a, a slight feeling that um, because they've been able to achieve such great things, it's an issue with the with with the program. <laughs> maybe um, they haven't said that, but it's it's me oh. re reading into some of the things. Maybe, maybe sometimes, or 
um yeah but but it definitely i would definitely say that it's not a case of of them being of, of not having the motivation for it they're, they're definitely people i've got people in front of me i'm like these are very very capable people and but particularly in the case of someone who's a professor of spanish literature like this is a incredible linguist like this is a <laughs> this is a person who obviously has the capacity for it so it's um it is on us as teachers to really think about our um, our delivery of it. Something else that Habib said actually that sometimes our Arabic teaching unfortunately ends up being a delivery of Arabic plus a motivational speech, which is um which which is a problem. <laughs> there's there, like you know there, there's definitely things better than that that we can do. So so on the note of things that are better than that, I'd like to start by asking you, what can be achieved at a hundred days <laughs> the, of one hundred days right. of Arabic? Yeah, what can be achieved at hundred days? Fit, yeah. Um, so, uh, so it's 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 really quite a simple idea. Um, if we can get a huge amount of input in a short period of time, we can show people that actually there, there's huge benefit in this. Um, and what we need to do at the same time is kind of get them to to make a slight bit of a mental shift, uh, in the sense that deliberately trying to test yourself is not going to work for you to have acquisition. So that's that's the kind of basic proposition. Um, 100 days, I mean, I, I have to say at, at the start, this is not anything revolutionary on our part. So the uh, something that I could maybe refer your uh, listeners to um, uh, or your audience to is the Stories First Foundation, right? So there's a lot of work that's been done uh, by them, particularly a Professor Benico Mason, who's um, She's an English teacher, but she's she teach, teaches in, or she taught in Japan. And they had a real problem with um, getting people to kind of um, graduate because they were just not meeting their English requirements. Um, so the idea is uh, input via story listening, which is something that she developed. So not storytelling, story listening, and we'll talk about what that means. Um, and that happens irregularly so that might be once or twice a week um, and the idea with that is that you're aiding comprehension so so you tell a story but you're using um, you know actions repetition um, explanation by another means and the example she gives which is really good so if she starts with once upon a time well we don't explain it by saying once means this upon means this a time means this she, she'll she'll turn around and say once upon a time hundred years ago, maybe, you know, it's a long time ago. So, so if you use like three sentences to try and explain that one basic concept, or you might be the first time uh, a person comes across the word donkey, right? Um, she'll draw a donkey. The drawing's not going to be great. And that's part of, of story listening, right? It's, you're not meant to have great artistic pieces of work. It's meant to be something that just people notice. So it might actually look like a dog. <laughs> and so so part of what you do is you say a donkey is an animal a donkey is not a dog a donkey is not a this a donkey looks like a horse you know this is what a donkey is and then you might draw something that's kind of unique to a donkey right uh big ears that kind of thing so the idea is that you're using these things that they call comprehension aiding supplementation and uh, you're going through relatively short story, but you're you're giving it, you're padding it out, and all the while you're getting people to um, understand vocabulary through other vocabulary that they've already picked up or they already understand, or a, a, an image, um, and 
Um, so from, from the 100 days point of view, that's going to be the Hakawati series. So we're, we're doing one novice session and one intermediate session uh, each week. Um, and then in between, um, we're going to um, uh, we're going to release via the app the the serial. I, I think you've mentioned it on your channel already. So, so there's a reader series I think written in the '60s, perhaps I can't I can't remember exactly when, but I think it's based on Ibn Ishaq's Sira. Okay. We think, and uh, the 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 sheikh who wrote it um, wrote it for I think it was. Um, teenagers or slightly younger. It was it was just a reader series of I think it was twenty four books. It comes to roughly one hundred thirty seven chapters. So that's where we got the idea for one hundred days of Arabic. And so each chapter will be anything between a minute to ten minutes, and it's been narrated. So we we got someone to narrate that. And so the idea is that you're able to listen to the story, ideally just listening. But you know if you need, we've got the script there for you on the app, and you can actually click each word and, and bring up the meaning just so you're not struggling. And so the idea with this is to try and make it compelling. Um, you know, it's, we, we're trying to use the attachment of, of Muslims to the Sira. Um, and uh, um, I, I think a lot of us have, have kind of seen glimpses uh, um, of the Prophet's life, you, you know, whether we've heard it in khutbahs and circles and what have you. So I think it'll be nice for people to kind of see it start off with his great grandfather, uh, Hashim, all the way to, you know, the end of the Sira, uh, and to be able to kind of get a nice overview. So that's where, you know, incidental learning, you're, you're, you're actually turning up for the Sira. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we're going to learn a lot of vocabulary. And the way it's written is really beautiful. So I mean, I think if you, if you start off at the beginning, and, and you think that you're going to struggle with this if you just stick with it a lot of the vocab a lot of the phrases and sentences are repeated time and time again so you can kind of you know gradually it starts becoming more more and more clear as you go down um and you'll be surprised like i i, I think kind of halfway through you, you're going to start getting the feeling that you're you're you're, you're seeing the glimmer of fluency you know um so yeah I'm, I'm really hoping that that's going to be something that really excites people um and i think there we, we're trying to make we're, we're trying to make uh, use the fact that it's a familiar story so you're going to start doing what we call top-down processing you know you, you're going to start predicting oh this is coming up you know maybe you don't know the word for cave but you know hira right so it's like hira, and then you kind of connect the two dots that you know when when you hear the story of the prophet having the his first revelation and um, so I'm hoping that you're going to have loads and loads of those moments. Um, and likewise, in story listening, we're going to be covering um, things like the hundred, um, sorry, the thousand and one nights. I made that quite short, a hundred and one nights. <laughs> thousand sure. and one nights. And, mm -hmm. and also that, that book that we really, I don't know if you struggled with it. I really struggled with Kalila Wadimna. Oh, like yeah, really yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so he's going to simplify those stories so that you can kind of get... The, the gist of the story yeah yeah uh, and perhaps like you know eventually be able to kind of tackle tackle it um, by yourself just because you're then going to be able to predict the story so yeah, yeah. i really um i really love the the concept of incidental learning mm. i um yeah I, I yeah i found myself really learning a lot about um a lot about different cultures and languages generally when i'd sort of just read like historic novels 
like particularly when I read Khaled Hosseini's Kite Runner and um, what is it, A Thousand Splendid Sons, his next book, I, I realized after reading them, kind of behind my own back, I'd learned quite a lot about Afghanistan because <laughs> the books, mm. are, they're, they're all set in Afghanistan. I, I read those books when I was sort of 14, 15 years old and I, I, I realized mm. how powerful that that is, like that you can learn things almost incidentally. Like I, I haven't turned up to learn a, le, learn a, a lesson on the history of Afghanistan, but I've probably learned mm. more from, from reading those novels and novels like them that are set in different countries and stuff like this. There's novels that have people from other cultures and stuff, and I, I learned so much from them, incidentally. Like there's there's one called The Road Home, which is about a Polish um, Polish man who moves to the UK. There's um, La Garnica as well, a book set in north of Spain as well. I learned so much about like the history of those places and those languages that almost, as I say, kind of behind my back, like incidentally, I, I learned those things. And to see that applied in, in Arabic is is really really cool so that that that's you know it, it seems that that's a that's a big aspect of um of this 100 yeah. days of arabic and i think as you've mentioned incidental learning i think you know from from the learner's perspective i think the thing to take away from that is learning is incidental acquisition is incidental so if you've if you um haven't paid attention to a bit of vocab like don't worry about it you don't need to pick up the dictionary you're going to come across it again mm -hmm. right and it's going to happen many times and if it doesn't let's 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 assume that it doesn't it's probably not a word that you need so that okay. there's a little bit of kind of you know uh, natural selection if you like of 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 the, the 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 kind of frequency language that you need to kind of pick up is mm. Like you're never going to so that i mean it's stuck in my mind but there's there's a there's a word that i um i, I was reading a book um with ala um called uh Al -Qawqa, which is about the experience of of a christian um arab in um, um in in syria during the time of um uh i think it was uh uh half is Assad actually so he so he had I mean like I'll, I'll let you read the book if you're interested in it but it's it's all about his kind of experiences in prison and things like that and you know he was accused of things that really didn't make sense anyway like one of the words that I came across um was this word that I don't think I'll ever use but there's there's literally an entry in the dictionary for uh, Ishra Abda which is just one form that there isn't any there there aren't any other forms for that word okay it literally right. means literally means to do this <laughs> okay <laughs> okay okay when i'm gonna use it i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you have to try really hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah so that's i mean that's that's like a really interesting read as well if um, you know if anyone's interested in linguistics is is really to try and understand vocabulary frequency and and you know really what's important to you as 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 a as a learner. So yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So so um so people listening now, obviously students are on the Arabic in sixty steps program. I've talked about us. We have a WhatsApp group specifically for it, and um mm -hmm. I'll, I'll make sure when we get a bit close to the time, I'll make sure everyone's downloaded the app. It'll just be the best way for us to for us to engage with that. So we'll kind of have our own little support group. But generally for people out there, like what, what's the first thing for them to do and to make sure that they're in the loop? Because, but by the time this episode goes out, we're probably a few days before. Um, so people have a few days to yeah. kind of prepare for yeah. it. So, so what, what should people go to, to make sure they can be involved? Yeah. So I think, I think the first thing is to um, uh, perhaps go to the webpage. So it's, it's a hundred days of Arabic.com and just get a sense for what the program is about. So, you know, um, 
it's not for absolute beginners. I think I should, I should say that right at the start because um, you will struggle with it. You, you do need to know the alphabet um, because you're going to come across it again and again, uh, particularly when Allah kind of, you know, writes down meanings and things like that. You, you're going to need to have some idea of the alphabet. Um, familiarize yourself, if you can, with the, um, with the app. So that's at app.arabicworkshop.com. Um, you know, just go through um, a couple of the free lessons just so that you can kind of navigate your way so that when you when you start, you're kind of just getting on with it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't think that there's much other preparation, really. I think the whole idea is it's meant to be as relaxed as possible. Um, you know, I think um, getting yourself a, a, a cup of tea, if, if it's the first thing you want to do in the morning or, you know, a cup of uh uh, cocoa at the end of the day, whatever it is that you need to do to relax while, while you're you're listening, um, you know we don't we don't want you to think of this as a lesson. We want you to think of this as kind of exposure to the language. Uh, this is where perhaps you know all your lessons are now going to come in and 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 be uh, and spark joy. I think is the phrase, isn't it? We we mm -hmm. want people to. We want this to spark joy with people. So, yeah, yeah. Something I've seen you um, mention in some of the videos in the build-up to it is that um, one of the great benefits that students can take from, from this series is not only the Arabic that they're going to be learning, some of it directly, some of it more incidental, is that is that actually the habit of being just being in the habit of learning Arabic so frequently, and that's that's something that's incredibly powerful because the, the languages they they're learnt little and often they're they're learnt, or, or a lot and often, but the often is the most important thing, you know. So the most important thing, yeah, yeah. And you know, I think getting into that habit of ramping things up and ramping things down. So if you if you're busy, fine, just do something really tiny, but just keep it going. I think that's like that's the most important thing. That's kind of you know, I'm sure it's going to be a marker of your success when, when you think about it is actually it was the consistency. I just showed up every day, even if it was just for two minutes. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we can all relate to that, right? In, in things that we've we've achieved success in. So yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. So there's um there's two questions. I, I, I there were there were times to ask them earlier, but I really wanted us to get on to the 100 days of Arabic. So I'll use the opportunity now before I let you go. So so the first one is obviously you like with your Arabic teacher, you say his name's Ala. Arabic teacher Alec, yeah. okay good mashallah so was he the when you went on to italki to look for a, a willing human to speak Arabic at was he the first person who was who was willing to put up with you or did you have other teachers previously that you went through oh no I, I he, he was the first person actually but I think what uh, italki actually did quite well was kind of get, uh, allowed people to kind of uh, show their profile and show their personality mm. um so uh, at the time, I can remember having that that um, that anxiety about usul al fiqh. So I wanted someone who I wanted someone who uh, was going to give me kind of working uh, Arabic, but also had a kind of sense of um, you know kind of religious um, the ability to kind of go into religious reading. So you you, you see a lot of people that are offering lots of different things and it can be just conversation and things like that. So I, I, I think, you know, choose what works for you, really. It's not um, it's not gonna be a one, one size fits all. Because mm. um, I've actually been through a, a few Arabic teachers and I, I think it's important to find the right personality for you. Because like when I, when I turn up to my Arabic lessons, I, 
I want to talk to my friend as much. Like when I have my Arabic lessons with him, like it's, it's really not like I've got, I've got to do this Arabic lesson. Like we, like my, my Arabic teacher and I, Mohammed, he's um, from Syria originally, but he actually lives in Sudan now. And um, yeah, like him and I were living both live in East African countries and like we've, we've both moved to that place and we've got loads in common. I just really enjoy his company. And I'd, I'd say having somebody you can have some consistency with speaking your Arabic with is, is such an integral part of getting your Arabic working and keeping it working. Cause like in, in my life, I don't live in an Arabic speaking country. Arabic is known on, on quite a big scale here in Somalia, but people don't speak it every day. Like it's not a language that you sit in a cafe and you hear people speaking. So like I like my amount of exposure to spoken Arabic sort of goes up and down. So but to have something consistent, actually having a person who I speak Arabic to on a regular basis has been a huge part of 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 my Arabic working well now. So 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 I wanted to kind of give the audience just a bit of an insight into that like if you try someone it doesn't work out with a teacher that doesn't mean that the strategy is wrong like it just means try some other teachers and so you find someone who genuinely just you enjoy their company that's that, that's been a huge part of the, the success with um with, with my teacher Mohammed and and also he he contributes a lot to me as well because I like I like his Syrian Arabic and a, a, a cultural insight. This is kind of, this isn't really relevant to learning Arabic, but it's interesting. So I'll share it with you that like here in Somalia, people here don't think I'm English. They think I'm Syrian because there's a lot of right. Syria. There's a lot of Syrian refugees here. And, um, and like, if they see a Muslim who doesn't look like them, who's like light skinned and stuff, they, they just think that you're from Syria. And um, it, here it's, it's kind of, it attracts less attention to be from Syria than to be from Britain if you know right. what I mean. So, so I just let them believe it. <laughs> like they, like they, they might come up to me and say some things in Arabic or whatever, and I just let them think it, you know. I don't go around telling people I'm Syrian. The Syrians, they'd know I'm not Syrian, obviously. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but, but anyway, so like my, my Arabic teacher contributes that to my life a little bit because I pick up his Syrian twangs a little bit here and there. <laughs> but, but like, so that so that brought me on to something else. Where is Ayla from? So Ala is, uh, is is from the heart of Damascus, actually. So oh, wow. he um, he is a computer science major, mm-hmm. um, and uh, unfortunately um, ended up spending a year in Assad's prison, uh, really because he was he was trying to help a friend out, um, uh, you know, while the city was under siege, and then. Um, I mean, I'll let, let him narrate that story. So he he basically then traveled to Istanbul while they were still kind of open. And uh, so that's that's where I met him. He was kind of, you know, recovering from all of that. And it was like, I, I've, I've, mashallah, I've, I, I can't believe for what he's been through, what a positive guy he is, you know, never once brings up his, his problems. And, you know, he's always kind of, um, and that's what I find about, you know, uh, uh, the, the brothers from Syria, mashallah, I'm sure it applies to many other people in the world. Mm. It's just so positive about the world. Mm. Um, I think, um, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's interesting that he, he's, he's actually really well read. So we, we kind of, whenever we seem to take on a topic, he seems to already kind of know about it, you know, um, uh, and and we've talked about a whole wide range of things, but I think the key thing about him, which is, you know, if I'm trying to make this kind of helpful for learners, is find someone who is, who's going to be patient with you and not necessarily correct you all the time. Mm-hmm. So so he, he's quite, he's, he's one of these people who's like really, he's able to be quite strategic about where he jumps in and corrects you because he's trying to kind of gradually get you to 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 fluency 
Um, and so what you, you don't want to kind of have someone who's kind of going through, okay, you know, that pronoun needs to be like this, this pronoun needs to be like that or what have you. He's letting you speak, kind of taking notes and then comes back and says, oh, you should have maybe said that. Mm-hmm. Let's try and work on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is he's also open to the idea of, um, you know, the, the ideas that you have. So when uh, the first lesson, you know, he gave me homework and I said, I'm not going to do any homework. Sorry. <laughs> 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 so he was kind of open to that, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and there's been times where I've turned up to a lesson. I was like, you know what? I just want you to read this story for me. So, so um, you know, I've, I've got kind of Sur Min Hayat Sahaba and Sur Min Hayat Tabin, and I'm, uh, I've not managed to get through all of that, but sometimes I'll, I'll just be like, you know what? I'm not going to read this story. I'm going to get Ala to read it for me and, and see how that works out. And so, you know, so having someone open to that idea that they're going to kind of take you along this journey. So that, that's, that's been his, uh, yeah. And I, I suppose um, just like your experience, it's, it's kind of turning up to someone who's just a friend, you know, mm-hmm. um, and um, like, uh, their, their 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 concerns or your concerns you know when when mm. something's when something's happening um to them like it it upsets you and mm. so this is, this is that incidental learning again like mm. the arabic is secondary to your friendship with this person and i think mm. that's yeah I, I you've actually made me think about that a lot and maybe i i, I need to be more appreciative with him about this actually um, it's something it's something yeah. that definitely I I've I've probably been I've been having lessons with with my teacher this new teacher of mine for a few months and it's kind of something I already start to take for granted but like I, I tried other teachers before and like some of them are incredible teachers like there is no question about whether they're good teachers or not but I didn't know if I'd have a relationship with them as like a like a friend like even if I wasn't having Arabic lessons sometimes I'm, I I message my Arabic teacher just with a thing that I've read or whatever and he's he's just like my friend <laughs> really and yeah. and the the Arabic's almost incidental and that's like like people who kind of marry someone who speak another language or something get the get the privilege of, of learning a language in that way which is yeah. that's really yeah. cool so like so, so on the on the topic of our Arabic teachers, there was something that Habib in the previous podcast said, which I thought was really interesting about um, collaboration between individuals like ourselves who create resources or whatever. But when at the end of the day, we're not Arabs. At the end of the day, we're not native Arabic speakers. So when we have opportunities to have partnerships with people who are, and in ways that sometimes we maybe have the we may especially someone perhaps like myself who has a platform and things like that can maybe communicate to English speakers in a particular way that maybe they can't if they're not strong English speakers. Like having partnerships between them is something is something really powerful. Like I, I wonder if you could speak to that at all. Like if how much the partnership of having someone like yourself with your, obviously you're from a medical background, you've got a very particular type of brain for certain things, right? Having individuals like yourself in partnership with people who are native Arabic speakers. If you could speak at all to how how beneficial that's been. I, I think you've put me on the spot there a little bit. I, I might need to think about that. Sure, um, sure, no problem. I, I, I think the, the problem I have uh, being a medic is is I tend to speak in quite a lot of generalities. I'd like to maybe think of a couple of examples. Good. Um, well, I'll I'll speak to it. I'll speak to it quickly. So, like, yeah, as I said, at the end of the day, no matter how good our Arabic gets, we're not native Arabic speakers, right? And like students. One of the issues that I think a lot of students really suffer in their listening, perhaps their listening is maybe the weakest of their skills a lot of the time, um, unless they've been brought up in Arabic speaking family where, where it might be their only skill in some cases, they sometimes have the opposite. But um, to be able to bring native Arabic speakers into our world a little bit and to be able to put them on 
however it might be like with you through your through, like obviously through a company where you have an app and stuff you're able to do that and obviously in my work with with, with the platform that i have i think that's something that we, we we need to work towards a lot more that maybe isn't that common like it's it's only really in this conversation that i've realized oh, hold on a minute like ryan's actually got a guy on his team who he met who's a native arabic speaker and oh, brought him into the team. okay yeah 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 i i, I see what you're going for now yeah yeah um, so uh, yeah, I think I think um, I think if we press that button, I might not stop. <laughs> so you know, I think the nature of the of, of the the app um, initially meant that we needed um, script writers, we needed uh, artists, we needed animators, we needed voice. So voice was actually probably the most important thing, getting the sound quality right and things like that. And so, yeah, I, I, I think engaging with people who are experts, but by the way, happen to be really good at Fusha. And I think that that's quite kind of an important distinction we had was, you know, we couldn't just go to any uh, any Arab. It had to be like Arabs who were kind of comfortable with Fusha, at least. Um, and, um, you know, it was quite surprising. So we worked on the app for maybe 18 months. And I think half the team, um, half the team were uh, non-natives, half the team were natives. Mm -hmm. I was interesting that the, 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 the meetings were gradually getting more and more kind of fusha than right. English. Sure. Um, you know, and I, I think that was, uh, if that's what you were kind of uh, shooting for, I think that was really interesting because, um, you know, uh, kind of picking up technical jargon and stuff like that in Arabic was was mm. really quite an eye opener for me. Mm. Um, and I, I've got to the habit now that when I, when I come to speak to Allah or his friend Omar, my friend Omar, and, um, you know, other people on the team, um, I feel when I start to speak in English, I feel like something's wrong now. It's, it's, really, it's really quite odd. You know, it feels like speaking broken Arabic is, <laughs> is much more rich and much right. more correct kind of etiquette-wise mm -hmm. than, than trying to communicate an idea. And then when I say to them, look, I'm going to speak to you in English because this is really important. I need to get this idea through. I feel like I'm doing something horribly wrong, mm. you know, and I, I feel like okay, this is this is a little bit of a failure. So um, that's kind of me personally, but I think in terms of you're you're right. I think it it kind of speaks to that incidental approach. Is like you know you're mm. you're going to you you you've got to try and find authentic experiences, and I think a lot has been you know there's a, it's a really complex topic, simplified versus authentic material mm. for. Learning like that but you know if you can find those authentic experiences um and uh, it, it, it's going to it's going to be it's going to be amazing for you because you know that's where you're going to you you're going to see your arabic uh, like we said before you get, get getting yourself a a working arabic uh, mm -hmm. a, an arabic that's actually achieving um the purpose of communication Mm. Um, so we've toyed with lots of ideas, actually, and it may be something maybe I just throw out there right now. But you know, the the idea of an Arabic workshop, um, uh, we we I think our ideal scenario is that we we perhaps make our core team redundant eventually, uh, because we would like to see people meeting as friends in coffee shops 
and perhaps you know we've kind of put out an open source idea for how that might be structured for example you know so so it, in the same way that you'd have comprehension aiding supplementation in, in story listening you might come to a session where you you're going to order a coffee and you know whoever's facilitating um kind of you know as soon as you're greeted at the door they kind of gauge where you're at you know okay so you're mm -hmm. going to sit on this novice table we have a native uh arab there who's going to talk you through this this uh menu which we've translated into arabic mm -hmm. and help you order from from the arab speaking arabic speaking uh waiter mm -hmm. So even though it kind of seems a little bit contrived, it's kind of, you know, it's a halfway house between completely simplified and, and kind of a, a truly authentic experience. Mm -hmm. um, but then people are just seeing things happening in, um, uh, seeing, seeing the Arabic come alive, sure. you know, um, or to have actually Hakawatis, like that concept. I, I, I don't know if you, you came across that when you were, when no, you no. were in the Sham. I think you went to Palestine, didn't you? Yeah. I, think, I think the Hakawatis, um, are unique to the sham. So I've spoken to Egyptians who didn't really know what that that right. was, but it it's similar to I suppose um, having the football showing at uh, at at a coffee house or, okay. or something like that. It's, it's a way of keeping people in the coffee shop. Okay. Uh, and so they'll be there with their 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 coffee and their hubble bubble and uh, you know listening to this guy um, uh, like just literally tell a story. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I gather that's that's uh, something that's dying out at the moment, and, and people are trying to reintroduce it in various ways. But we thought, well, look, what, what could that Hakawati program look like if we had people who just kind of voluntarily pitch pitch up and and say to uh, you know local students, hey, we're going to have a, a storytelling session. Mm -hmm. Come in, like it'll work for the coffee house because they're going to sell coffee or cakes or whatever. Sure, and this um this storyteller could uh, um you know using the principles of story listening be teaching by by storytelling it, it'd be pretty amazing i think i would turn up to that mm. but uh yeah let's see it's 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 kind of like these are these are the ideas that we might we might kind of try try out and see what happens good uh need to build up a bit of a following first let's see <laughs> Good, inshallah. Well, I'll let you get on. So I want to say thank you so much for joining me on the Arabic in 60 Steps podcast. Once again, it's an okay. absolute pleasure to get an opportunity to speak to you, to, to hear more about where Arabic Workshop is in its journey. And um, we're coming up to a really exciting series. I mean, as we're recording this, we're what? Um, what? Just over a week? Exactly. Away, aren't we? A week? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're just, just, yeah. yeah. So, that, yeah, I'll allow for this to go out on the 14th. So the students will have a few days um, between this going out and the actual start of um, the 100 days of Arabic. Inshallah. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. Jazakallah khairan. There's no kind of fancy fade to black or anything like that. All we do is we just uh, we say goodbye with a with a ma'asalama and assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.